Thank you so much, Pastor Dexter. Dexter, Dexter. He didn't say de- he would respond to Dexter, but we have first just met, so I'll take a bit of grace on the, on the name. Now, um, so my name is Matt, and I just want to say welcome to the Rice team, and thank you for, for being here to support us. Uh, on behalf of the Rice team, thank you for welcoming us into your city. And the first thing I saw when I walked in was welcome home. And that's exactly what I felt. I just felt that you welcomed us home as brothers and sisters into your city. Uh, You didn't know us, but you know that we love Jesus. And we know that you love Jesus. And that just makes me feel right at home. So I just want to thank you on behalf of uh, the Rice team for being able to welcome us here. So, yeah, my name is Matt Wee. Uh, and I am uh, the Melbourne Rice Director, uh, the city director there. And the thing about Rice, as, as many of you know, is that it started about 16 years ago. But it hasn't actually t- started to take off until the last two years. I can't believe it's only been two years. Two years ago in Melbourne was the first Rice Rally in Melbourne. And then the year after that, 2018, was Auckland. And then the year after that is 2019, and we are hoping to see, actually, let me correct myself, we know that we are going to see lives saved. I want you to picture this, right? I want you to picture hundreds and hundreds of youth streaming down from all parts of a stadium, streaming down forward, making commitments to Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to picture that, because for me, just two years ago, that was a dream. I'd I'd actually just dreamed that. And for 20-odd years of ministry, I'm older than I look, um, (laughs) I ended up seeing five people saved, which is great, right? That's five lives saved. But what I've seen in the past two years, I'm here to witness to you that God is on the move. That God is, is, has already come to your city in a way that you just have not seen before. Now, I need to explain a little bit. So, uh, I'll, actually, I'll put a, the picture of my family up now. Uh, so, this is my lovely family. Uh, that's my wife, Rebecca, and our two kids, Samuel and Leah. Now, I, I often do this, so I, I just like to kind of check. Have a look at me there. Have a look at me now. And think in your head, which picture do I look older in? Which picture do I look older in? Now, if you think I look older now, put up your hand. That's because you saw me. <laughs> if you think I look older there, put up your hand. Yeah, it is. And um, so my kids are actually nine years old and six years old now. And um, it was actually my daughter's birthday yesterday and my son's birthday the day before that. I, I, I miss their birthday. I miss them. Uh, because I wanted to be here with you, though. Now, I've uh, been married to my lovely wife, Rebecca, for 11 years. Now, uh, any married, many married people in the room? Yeah, cool. Y- you'll probably agree with me when I say being married for 11 years, the first 10 years are the hardest, do you reckon? Something like that. But I, I, will, I will say it is, it is going to get a little bit serious, and I'll, I'll kind of explain a little bit why later. But... I was a physio for 10 years 
before uh, becoming a minister for five years. I was called into the Anglican Church. Don't hold it against me. Um, But really, my heart is to seek and save the lost. That's what brought me into full-time ministry. That's what brought me into Rice. And actually, that's what brought each of the people that you see uh, either wearing a Rice t-shirt or they're from Rice. That's what's brought each of us here. We want to seek and save the lost. But sometimes it comes at a price, doesn't it? There are risks involved when you go out and seek the lost. And I just don't just mean the random person on the street that you meet, right? One of the things that we've been doing in the Rice movement is not just doing things from the stage, but going out into the street and talking to strangers, complete strangers, and asking them, you know, can we help you? Can we pray for you? Now, actually, all of the young people that enjoy this are so scared at first, right? I mean, can you imagine going out into the streets of Perth um, a Monday night and just asking them, can I pray for you? Can I, can I, can I tell you about Jesus? Right? It's a scary thought. But each time they've gone out, everyone's gotten stronger and stronger and more and more confident in asking people. But that's not where it ends. Because I'm sure you know as well as I do. Actually, it's easier to go up to the person on the street that you have no idea who they are and you may never see them ever again in your life to ask them if you can talk about Jesus. But when it comes to your friends... When it comes to your family that don't know Jesus, that's scary. My dad's not a Christian. Uh, my mom and uh, my brother are. But I keep praying and praying for my dad. Maybe you can think of that person that you know is lost. I just want you to keep them in your mind as you go through the rest of this sermon. I want you to keep them firmly in your mind. Just go ahead and picture their face right now. It might be a couple of people. It might be a family member. It might be a friend who used to come to Oikos or, or perhaps your, your other churches as well. But I want you to keep them firmly in mind. As I said, um, things are going to get a little bit serious. So just, just forewarning. Um, I'll just uh, go on to the next picture. So back in June, uh, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. This was in the middle of uh, the lead up to the rally season. Things were just crazy, crazy busy. And then we got hit with that. That was a hard time. There was the operation about a month later. But God has actually been working through all of this. Because it was six weeks, six weeks before the operation, uh, that she had the operation. And six weeks later, she was actually able to go to rally. Just before, and literally, uh, we went to the Sydney rally, stepped off the plane into chemotherapy, uh, 24 weeks of chemotherapy. Now, um, any, any sort of medical professionals or doctors in the room-ish? I'll just explain a little bit of, about what chemotherapy does. 
one of the things is that it makes you very tired. Now, when I say tired, I don't mean, oh, yeah, we were out late last night, and, um, yeah, I'm a little bit tired. I'm just going to sleep it off. Uh, I mean the sort of tired that you just know is so deep. And, and what chemotherapy does is it, it's chemically poisoning your body. It's actually chemically poisoning your body and killing cells, killing good cells and bad cells. And I've got to tell you, it's brutal stuff. Um, by the end of it, she was getting pins and needles in her fingers, and the, the tips of her fingers had started to turn a bit blue. Um, that's because the, the chemicals actually gather in the end tips of, of your body and her fingers as well. But again, God was good. Just when we were at the lowest point, just when like, she was having to be asleep for two hours for every hour that she was awake, she was just so wiped out. But just when we'd reached that limit, the doctors had said, no, actually, I think you guys have had enough chemo. You can stop. And that just happened to be the end of when I had my leave. It just happened to be a couple of weeks before the kids were going to go back to school. Now, right now, she's in radiotherapy, and, and things are looking good. Uh, there's one more week of radiotherapy left. And I'm just so thankful to God. So, so thankful to God that he has been able to work through all of these things. And he has. But I don't want to stand up here and misrepresent this. Right? I don't want to say, oh, no, no, God's gotten us through. It's okay. This has made me question so many things. It's made me question not God's goodness. Because I've told you, as I said, God has actually been good through all of these things. It hasn't made me question why me either? Because actually, in reality, when, when bad things happen to us, why not me? What, what have I actually done to deserve anything good in this life? That's contrary to what the world will tell us, isn't it? But actually, we haven't done anything to deserve any goodness in this life. It is only by grace that we have anything at all. What it made me question is this. That's just on the next slide. Why should I get up? Why should I bother getting up? Maybe, look, maybe your circumstances haven't been ex as extreme. But, but maybe you've all been in that situation where you just like, you just reach this day and you're going, why am I going to bother? Like, I might have other things I need to do. There might be other people that are kind of depending on me. But really, actually today... I just can't be bothered. I reached that point. I woke up early. I was at, it was 4 a.m. And I just, I just felt pain. But there's nothing physically wrong. I just felt tired even though I'd slept the whole night. And... When you're, when you're looking after someone who's sick, you get tired. When you're looking after your kids, when you're single parenting, there is no time to do these things. There is no time to just stop and go, I, I, I just had enough. But that's where I was.
But there is a good end to all of this. Because through all of those difficult times, what I found was my reason why. I found my reason why I should get up. And it's actually really, really simple. It's a simple message, and it's the one that I believe God has put on my heart to bring to you today. And it's this. Go and find the lost. Go and find the lost. Now, from the passage... Actually, we missed the Bible reading, didn't we? Yeah. Oh, my bad. Cool. Um, If you can open up your Bibles to Luke 15... Uh, Please open up to Luke 15. These are parables that we know well, right? It's the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and parable of the prodigal son. Now, you know what happens in these passages, don't you? Something is lost, and then it's found. Now, we're going to read through each of these passages, and we're going to see why I believe that God is compelling each of us to go and find the lost. That needs to be our reason why, because it's God's reason why he wants to send us out. And friends, I want to tell you this. If you can find a strong enough why, if you can find a strong enough why, it will overcome any how. If you can find a strong enough why, it will overcome any how. Because often what ends up stopping us from going out and finding the lost is we wonder, how am I going to do that? Where where are they going to be? What am I going to do? How is this all going to work? But if you have a strong enough why... You will overcome any how. Now, I'll just go over uh, to the next slide and the next slide over as well. Now, the parable goes like this, as you know. Uh, Next slide over again, sorry. And click the, the passage up there. Yeah. The parable goes like this. So he told them this parable, which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. He lays it on his shoulders and he rejoices. Sometimes I wonder if we, we, we go about our Christian life wondering, what is it that God wants me to do? A- am I supposed to make sure that I tithe? Sorry, we missed that. <laughs> am I supposed to make sure that I read my Bible every day? Again, sorry, I missed that. <laughs> Are we supposed to make sure that we pray every day? I think we might have missed that too. <laughs> Are those the things that, that God wants us to do, though? Are those it? Because that's often what we're told, isn't it? That we, if we go about all those things, uh, serve in church, and, and make sure that we, you know, we're, we're good. That, that's what's going to make God happy. But that's not actually it. Because if you look at 
verse 7. You will see what God's heart is and just how much more he wants us to go and find the lost. Look at verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner, one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people who need no repentance. One to 99. You want to know how to please God? You want to know how to give God joy? 99 times more, he wants you to go and find the lost. That's how much he wants that. That's how much he loves the lost. It it, it just should completely blow anything else out of the water. He wants us to go and find the lost. And he doesn't want just to, us to keep the joy to ourselves either, does he? Now, if, if you look at the next parable and look over at verse 9, and that'll be on the screen as well. Look over at verse 9. It's not just keeping the joy to ourselves. What he wants us to do then is that he says there, when the lady finds the coin that she's lost, she has found it and she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found that what I had lost. I had found the coin that I had lost. Now, I don't know about you, but when I find my keys, <laughs> I make sure I tell my wife, I found them. <laughs> perhaps, uh, perhaps for those, if you've ever lost like the backing to your earring or something like that, or if you lost a shoe from a pair, you usually, you let your friends know, don't you? Oh, I lost, I lost my earring. Just, just wait. But when you find it, you let them know I found it. Now, that's not quite the sort of joy, and you saw the picture of Marie Kondo that came up, that, 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 that's not really the, the sparking sort of joy that we're talking about, right? <laughs> that, that's like one out of 99. Now, we're talking about the sort of joy that is pretty much, let's round it up, right? 100 times more. 100 times more than that kind of a joy. That's the sort of thing that God wants us to do. If you want to bring deep joy to your Father in heaven, and just on the next slide, if you want to bring deep joy, you need to know your Father's heart. You need to know, beyond a doubt, that 100 times more, He wants you to find the lost. Now, you might be thinking, hold on, man. There's all these things, other things that I need to do in my life. I've got to sleep. That's fair enough. I've got to eat. I've got to have a job or I've got to study. I've got to have some downtime. I've got to do so many things. But I don't want you to get stuck on those, right? Why? Because a strong enough why will overcome anyhow. Have you ever noticed when you're passionate about something, you can spend hours looking at it, right? Hours and hours. I spend way too much time on eBay. <laughs> I'm looking for a bargain, by the way, with, with a lot of these things. Um, my son's really into Yu-Gi-Oh cards, and um, I, I always kind of try to look for the ones and help him like, create a deck. It's, it's one of the ways that we bond. <laughs> it, it's all for him, really. It is, it is. So what I try and do is find the bargains and look through those things. Way, way too much time on eBay. It's kind of fun. It's more the Asian in me, I think. Always looking for a bargain. 
But you can spend so much time doing the things that, that, you, that brings you joy. Now, a hundred times more than that. God wants you to spend whatever spare ounce of strength, not even spare, whatever ounce of strength that you have, to go and find the lost. Now, the sort of joy that we're talking about, though, I think we still haven't fleshed it out enough. Because I've talked about, you know, coins and sheep and earrings and Yu-Gi-Oh cards. (laughs) Those aren't really the things that bring joy to Jesus. What really brings joy to Jesus is people. It's those precious, precious souls that he wants you to find. And, and there is no better story that demonstrates this than the prodigal son. Just on the next slide. Now, the prodigal son, you know how the story goes, don't you? The youngest brother goes up to dad and says, Dad, sell half of your things so that I can have the money that I want to go out and party and spend it on prostitutes. That's what he says. Have a look at the passage. Chapter 15, verse 12. Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. Now, the son went to a distant country, and if you go over to verse, the end of verse 13 there, you see he squandered his property in dissolute living. It's like going up, can you imagine, right? Going up to your parents, who are still alive and well, and saying, hey, mom and dad, I, I just kind of want to go, you know, traveling the world and, and to get that, that experience of life, right? That, that's what the world keeps telling me to do. So just, just sell your house for me so I've got enough to go out, right? Now, that, that's where we, we need to understand what the prodigal son is asking is just totally outrageous. Now, just going over the next slide, I'll put into perspective. I mean, we thought millennials, right, were supposed to be privileged, right? They're supposed to be uh, the generation that believes they have entitlement. We'll go off the slide. (laughs) But no, the prodigal son actually beat people to that. Go to the next slide. (laughs) The prodigal son beat millennials well before that was ever a thing, right? Well before it was ever a thing. And again, you know how the rest of the story goes. He spends all of his money, and we'll pick up there in verse 15. And then, when he'd spent all his money, he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Well, Then he came to his senses. How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? And here I am dying of hunger. You see, he reached this point where he's like, no, this is absolutely ridiculous. There are so many other people that are better off. I'm just going to go back. See, Do you see how he tries to justify going back to his his dad? He goes, oh, I'll I'll just be one of the servants, you know. that's, That's all. Maybe I'm entitled to just that. And so he goes back. 
And what happens? His father picks up his essentially dress, <laughs> runs out to greet the son that, that has just spat in his face. He doesn't even know if he's alive. He sees his son and he loves him so much that he, he can't even wait. He runs out, greets him, he throws a party for him. And there's just this enormous sense of rejoicing. Now go back again and picture that person that you know who is lost. Picture their face right now. I'm picturing my dad's face. Man, if he came down and gave his life to Jesus... That's the sort of joy we're talking about. Do you want that sort of joy? Do you want to see people come to know and love Jesus? That's how desperately we need to be if we're ready to leave the 99 and to go out and find the one. Because there's actually two brothers in the story, aren't there? There are two brothers. There's the prodigal son, but then there is, on the next slide, the older brother. Now, you have a choice. I'm here to tell you, you have a choice as to how you are going to respond to this message tonight. You can be the prodigal son, and I'll speak to those in a moment. Or you can be the elder brother. The older brother who's been in church all of his life, who has served faithfully, who's done everything that has been asked of him and more. But when he sees that stupid brother of his come back, who doesn't deserve anything of the father's love, why should he get to have a party? Why should he be welcomed back? Uh, why don't I get any credit? I've been doing all of these things. I've, I've been serving faithfully all of these years. Why don't I even get just a little bit? Why don't I get a little bit of credit? Now, it might not even be that extreme. And it probably isn't for most of us. What it might be for most of us is what we don't realize. I'm going to call it out. I'm here to be honest with you. Is that when you look at the end of this story, who do you think actually thinks they're more entitled? The prodigal son? Well, the older brother. I really struggled with giving this message, actually. But my why is strong enough. See, two months ago, actually, God put this message on my heart. It's a burning thing in my heart. I woke up in the middle of the night, and I'm like, God's given me this message. It's just after I found out I was going to come here. And when I arrived, we were at the, a team meeting, and we're gonna, we were talking through, what things are we struggling with right now? And I'll tell you what I was struggling with. I was asking myself, again, why? Why, why am I in Perth? 
I've got a sick wife at home. I'm missing my kid's birthday. I'm coming to a city that I know no one. What am I even doing here? I just want to be home. So many other things that we could do. But I'm here to tell you the important message, the most important message that you will ever hear. That you need to go and find the lost. If you know and love Jesus, if you know that he wants to go and find all of those people here in Perth, right? This isn't a message from Melbourne. This is here in Perth. He wants you to go and find your friend who doesn't know Jesus. He wants you to go and talk to that person that you're just a bit too scared to talk to, that you know. Your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister. He wants you to go and find them and tell them about Jesus. That's what he wants you to do. There is nothing more important for us than knowing our Father's heart. There's nothing more important than for us to be able to have the Father's heart to seek and save the lost. Jesus didn't just come and die on a cross for us so that we could sit there and feel entitled to play it safe, to to stay with the 99, just to stay here in church and and do our thing, talk to the Christians that we know, talk and, and just go about our lives in an everyday routine that we go week in, week out. That is not why he brought us here. He brought us to seek and save the lost. He died for us so that we could go and tell others about him. He wants us to witness to those who are lost. Please go. Please don't sit there and think that was a good message. I'll go and think about it. Please don't do that. It it, it hurt too much to see that happen. Go and find the lost. Seek and save the lost. Do that together as a church. Now, there are all of the other things that you need to do together to be able to do that. But one of the reasons that I've joined the Rice Movement is because in the past Two years, I have seen more people saved than in the past 20 years of ministry combined. Hundreds and hundreds of souls going out. And so the second part of the message is this. I don't want you to sit there and go, oh yeah, the rice movement's going to do this. We have come to Perth to empower you to do the evangelism. Not just on the stage, although the stage is part of that, but to do that in your everyday life. Now, if we're going to run something like Rally, if we're going to help to revive your city, you need to have the heart of the Father. You need to know why you're going out there. And it's to find the lost. And once you've found that lost person and you've talked to your friend, go and find the next person. And once you've found that person and talked to them, go and find the next one and the next one and the next one. And don't stop until you continue in every single thing that you do, that you know everything you're doing is focused to go and find the lost.
right? That is how you know you have the Father's heart. That is how I see healthy churches. I see healthy churches when they are doing the evangelism side of things. I see healthy churches when they are not only looking in, but looking out as well. Now, for Dexter's sake, don't just look out, (laughs) right? Do all those things to look after each other, love one another. But you know that you have the Father's heart when you are ready to continue to go out and find the lost. I'll get the musos back up. Dexter, is that right if if anyone wants to come forward to, to have a time of prayer? So elder brothers out there, have the Father's heart. But I wonder if you are sitting there, and I wonder if none of this has meant anything to you yet. Because you might be sitting there, and you have yet to truly know the Father's love for you. You have yet to experience what it is to have the Father opening his arms up to you and saying, come, just come back. Come back to me. Come back because I love you. There's so many reasons that uh, many people walk away from church. So many reasons. Sometimes they don't feel welcomed enough. Sometimes they just find other things to do. But sometimes, sometimes they just end up finding that they think they're not good enough. that they think there's something that they've done or things that they're doing even now that just seem unforgivable. And so what you do is you hide it away. You, You try and cover it up. And so maybe you're sitting there, but rather you'd be sitting in the dark. You'd rather just, just, just kind of sit there and not, not be bothered by anyone else because otherwise if you get too deep and they get too close they might find out about what you've done you might as well be and inside it feels like you're, you're just in, in, in the mud and that nothing is going to wash that mud away now if that's you if you know what it's like to be the prodigal son and feel so far away from your father that you just you just don't think there's any way back and and you think maybe look maybe I'll just come to church just every now and then I might get the lights off as well maybe we'll just I'll just come and and just kind of sit and and hope that he'll, he'll kind of welcome me back that's not the father's heart a hundred times no what the father wants is for you to know 
that his arms are wide open. That he wants you so, so desperately to come forward to him and to know that you're forgiven. Now, if there's anything that you have done that you think is going to stop you from going out to find the 99, if you think you're not good enough, you think you don't know enough, if, if you just think that it's just not for me, what I'm going to ask for in a moment is if you want to come forward and you want prayer for that, uh, maybe Dexter can know some of the leaders that can come forward and, and I know your leaders want to pray for you. So you can just come up and while the music's going, while the people are singing, just come up and just ask for prayer. Just ask them. Just say, I, I think this is stopping me. Please pray for me. So that's what I'm going to ask you right now. All right. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and let's pray.